0: You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit CrossingParagold.com. Well, good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Romans chapter 8 as we continue in our series. uh, We've entitled Sabbatical Reflections. And the idea behind this series is that I've just been sharing kind of four words that sum up uh, what I believe God taught me on sabbatical and then we're just unpacking what that looks like for us as a church family. And so a couple of weeks ago I talked about this word sacred which is the idea that uh, more than anything else, more than we want to be about programs or or buildings or missional communities, or anything, we want to be a people who are known uh, as those who are living aware of and connected to God in the everyday stuff of life. And so that was the first week. Uh, last week we talked about this word surrender and the idea there was that we want to be a people who learn to surrender our lives to Jesus, to to be led by him, even if it means going to places that we do not want to go, because we believe that's how transformation and change happens. And this week, as we continue, uh, we're going to talk about this word, softer, Uh, really what it means to learn how to be softer with ourselves, um, which we believe is actually a key, as we'll see today, to experience uh, the growth that we all long for. So um, with that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read from Romans chapter 8 today. We like to stand together. Uh, because we are a church that believes that this is not just words uh, on a page, but this is the actual word of God to us. And whenever we read this, we really believe that it's just as powerful as if God was sitting here right now speaking it to you. And so we're going to read last week. I had you stand for 14 verses. I told you I'd make it up to you this week, so we just got two verses this week. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. I'm really just going to focus on verse 1, but we'll read both verses. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We could just stop right there, couldn't we? There are some verses in the Bible that honestly preach themselves, and this is one of them. My my job today is not to try to make this text look good. It's like, don't screw it up. Like, that's my go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit... Who gives life and sets you free from the law of sin and death. Let's just pray together one more time. God, I thank you so much for each person here. I know that you love them so much. It's crazy to think about uh, how you literally know every hair on the head of people in here. You knitted everyone together. Um, God, you were very well acquainted with them. You care so much that you've always been there. Um, and you love these people, and I just pray that right now, that through the teaching of the Word, that um, you would take what could feel like just pages on the Word, and that or, or just words on a page. And I pray that God, you would just cause this text to, to fall on our hearts in such a way that we do experience the love that you have for us, and that we do believe that that you really. I care about us as much as you say that you care. I pray that you would fill our hearts today with hope, fill them with joy, fill them with peace that's found in you, Jesus. And it's in your me pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I was recently talking with our mayor, Josh A. G. and he was telling me how in two thousand twenty one alone the city of Paragold condemned forty four different buildings. Uh, 44 different pro- uh, properties that because they were so messed up, because they were considered to be broken beyond repair, they had been condemned by our city and eventually knocked down. And as I thought about that conversation that I had with Josh and a lot of our texts today, I couldn't help but wonder how many people in this room or online, uh, you feel spiritually speaking like you are living in a condemned house. Uh, people who, despite the fact that maybe you look good on the outside, you find yourselves living under the weight of condemnation. I know as a pastor, the vast majority of feedback that I get really is positive. People who will say, hey, thank you for that message, or that was a good word, or I appreciate the time you spent with us in counseling, or thanks for pouring into our family like you have. But then there are times that I, I get criticism. Because I don't meet the expectations of others. And it doesn't matter how much positive feedback I get. There are times in my life where that one critical word can kind of send me into this kind of like puddle of shame where I feel the weight of condemnation. And my guess this morning is that I'm not alone. My guess is that like me, there are many of you who would say that yes, whenever I fail to live up to expectations, whether that be your own expectations or the expectations of God or the expectations of others, um, there are times where you will begin to hear this inner critic inside of you that will say things like this, you are defective, you are damaged, you are broken, you are flawed, you are dirty. You're ugly, you're impure, you're disgusting, you are unlovable, you are weak, you are pitiful, you are insignificant, or worst of all, you are unwanted. This is what the voice of condemnation sounds like. And just to be clear today, the voice of condemnation is very different from the voice of conviction. And I want to make sure we're clear on that. Conviction, which is a good thing, comes out of grace. Condemnation comes out of guilt. Conviction Causes us to confess our sin. Condemnation causes us to conceal our sin. Conviction leads us to repentance. Whereas condemnation only causes remorse. Conviction creates in us a soft heart. Whereas condemnation creates a hard heart. That's unable to receive love. Conviction comes from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it is in our culture. Especially in the age of social media, and this cancel culture, where the voice we hear most often, as you can imagine, is not conviction, but condemnation. Uh, whether it be a parent, or from a friend, or a boss, or a spouse, or a church leader, or someone on Facebook, we all can remember times in our life where someone has used condemnation as a way to try to change us, or control us, or try to fix something in us that they don't like about us. And so maybe some of you can even think of times where someone has said something to you like, you call yourself a Christian? Or they've said to you things like, you're so lazy. or You're so stupid. Or you're so weak. Or you're so fat. I've shared this before, but when I think of how condemnation can be used to control or change people, I think of Kelly Osborne, daughter of Ozzy Osborne. And you may remember after her reality show on MTV... She disappeared for a while but then reemerged as you see in this picture years later with a whole new body, whole new hair, new curves. I mean she really does look great. She lost sixty pounds. And in an interview, a reporter asked her, What was the motivation for your incredible transformation? Here's what she said. She said, I looked in the mirror and I hated everything that I saw. I mean she hated herself. I thought to myself, why don't I look like that girl? Why don't I look like this girl? I took more criticism for being fat than I did for being an absolute raging drug addict. Guys, this is just one example of the kind of culture that we are swimming in. It is a culture that attempts to change people not through kindness, but through criticism. That attempts to change us not through compassion, but through condemnation. And here's the thing. Condemnation can change our behavior. Condemnation gets results. That's why we use it. But what we ultimately see is though condemnation works in the short term, it actually has devastating effects on our life in the long term. Because as many of you already know, when you live under the weight of condemnation, you end up finding yourself living with this hopeless perfectionism. Where you begin to to think things like, I will never be good enough. I'll never be a good enough Christian. I'll never be a good enough spouse. I'll never be a good enough parent. I'll never be a good enough friend. I'll never be a good enough pastor. And this hopeless perfectionism then gives way to a harsh criticism where we begin to talk to ourselves in ways we would never talk to somebody else. We begin to say things to ourselves we would never say to those around us. And it's right in the middle of this cycle of shame, in this place of hopeless perfectionism, That Paul shows us the key to true and lasting transformation. The key to experiencing and unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And what is that key? It is not condemnation. But rather what Paul wants us to see today is that if we want to be uh, transformed, it comes to the reality that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guys, this is how we change. If you want your kids to be healthy, you can't use condemnation. If you want your marriage to be better, you want your spouse to be better, it's not going to happen through condemnation. If you want to change, if you want to become more of the woman, more of the man that you long to be, it's not going to happen through condemnation, but rather through embracing the reality that there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Through embracing the good news of the gospel that says, yes, you were born dead in your sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Yes, you were born naturally bent away from God and towards self, which means you were born as someone who rebelled against God. But the good news is, is rather than God making us pay for our sins for all eternity, he sent his son Jesus to take our sin and our condemnation upon his own body. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But God has laid upon him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. In other words, condemnation was coming down on you. Condemnation was coming down on me because of our sin. But Jesus stepped into our place and instead of us having to receive it, he now received the punishment of God. He received the wrath of God for our sin. See, whenever God saw your sin and my sin, please hear this, he didn't just brush it aside. He didn't give a holy wink and be like, I got you. He didn't like brush it under the rug. No, he he didn't look and say like, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal. No, sin is such a big deal to God. He said, the only way that I can fix this is by actually passing down the death sentence to my own son. Rather than giving us the death penalty we deserve for sin, Jesus went to the cross so that through Him, sin could be condemned once and for all. For all eternity. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8. It's the reality that in Christ, you can now receive a whole new identity. It's the reality that you are no longer defined by sin. You're no longer defined by your past. You are instead defined by the perfection of Jesus Christ. What that means is when you trust in Jesus, you become a beloved child of God. Think about that. Where you sit right now, you are loved by the creator of the universe. You are his daughter. You are his son. And his thoughts towards you are beautiful. He delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. His face shines on you. You are special to him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did this past week, that where you sit right now, you look perfect in the eyes of God because you are in Christ. And listen, there is nothing you can do to change that. I know that when I say that, that it's so easy for us to amen on a Sunday, but isn't it so hard to live it out on a Monday? I mean, in my own life, I mean, just think about the insanity of this. I mean, I am a man who preaches the gospel every week and still in many ways believe, believes I'm defined by my performance. Despite hearing the gospel over and over and over, there are times where I live as if God changes his mind about me based off of how I perform. And I'm guessing today that maybe some of you can relate in the fact that you live With this kind of he loves me, he loves me not kind of relationship. And so here's how this works. I did the daily office just as the pastor asked me to do a couple weeks ago. God loves me. I didn't pray, he loves me not. I read my Bible, God loves me. I didn't pray, he loves me not. I've not looked at porn in a long time. He loves me. Man, I slipped again. He loves me not. Guys, this might be the way our culture works, but it's not the way God works. God loves you with an unconditional love. God accepts you not because of your performance, but because of the perfect performance of Jesus on your behalf. And because the devil knows that the key to uh, taking your life, because he knows the key to stealing and, and taking and destroying you is to convince you this is not true. He will often do whatever he can to convince you that everything that I just said is a lie. And David Siemens, he, he says this way better than I, uh, than I could say it. He says this, Satan's greatest psychological weapon. Think about this. Satan's greatest psychological weapon is a gut-level feeling of inferiority, inadequacy, and low self-worth. The feeling shackles many Christians in spite of wonderful spiritual experiences and the knowledge of God's word. So we have all these wonderful experiences. But, he says, though we understand our position as sons and daughters of God up in our head, Right? We are tied up in knots, bound by a terrible feeling of inferiority and chained to a deep sense of worthlessness. As I look back at my conversation with the mayor, I think of this sign um, that I can put on the screen for you where he said basically we would used to our city would take a sign like this. And whenever a property was condemned, we would put this this sign up on the property so people would know that, hey, this property is now worthless. This building is no longer fit for use. And therefore, it is a building that, that, because it's broken beyond repair, needs to be torn down. It needs to be bulldozed. I share that with you because I believe there are some of you this morning who you feel like that same sign of condemnation has been placed over your life. Some of you who have begun to believe the lie, I am broken beyond repair, and therefore I am worthless. I am unfit for use in the kingdom of God, and therefore I might as well just tear myself down. And if that is where you are this morning, I want you to know that God wants to come to you through Jesus Christ and rip that sign off of your life. He wants to remove the notice of condemnation and replace it with a banner of affirmation so that when the enemy or this inner critic begins to feed you lies, you can stand on the truth of the gospel and you can say with confidence, I am not who others say that I am. I am not even who I think I am. I am not defective. I am not damaged. I am not broken. I am not... Flawed or dirty or ugly or impure or disgusting or unlovable. Those, that's not my primary identity. I'm not pitiful. I'm not insignificant. I'm not worthless and I'm definitely not unwanted. But rather because of Jesus Christ, here's the truth. I am forgiven. I am free. I am redeemed. I am healed. I am brand new. I'm chosen. I'm changed. I'm blessed. I'm complete. I am a beloved child of God. Guys, even if you blew it this past week, the scandalous good news of the Gospels, even if you blew it, even if you're not anywhere close to where you think you should be, you can still rest. You know why? Because there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is a message I've had to preach to myself over and over this past week. Even this morning, I rushed through kind of my Lord's Prayer, kind of rushed through my time in the Word, and I was like, man, i kind of feeling a little nervous. I feel like my message is not where it needs to be, so I kind of just like, you know, hurried up and, and went through my quiet time and sort of focused on my sermon, and I immediately started condemning myself. Like, man, Jerry, what's wrong with you? How is it that you could care more about doing stuff for God than being with God? Like, I mean, do you even really love God? Like, the that, that, that whole thing began. And I, in that moment, I just had to sit back honestly and just say, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation, and I want to encourage you this week just to try that on, to step into this same practice. Whenever you begin to hear that inner critic, when the enemy begins to begin to plant seeds of deception that says that you're worthless or you are unworthy of God's love, or makes you begin to believe there's no way God can love someone like you, I just want you to respond by quoting Scripture memorize Romans 8, 1, and just say, when you begin to feel that, just, hey, wait a minute, there is therefore now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. When you begin to go into this shame cycle, say, well, time out. God has already made up his mind about me. And then ask God, God, would you please help me to make up my mind about myself? God, uh, you say that you love me. Help me to love me. God, you're gentle with me. You're patient with me. You're kind with me. Help me to be gentle and patient and kind with myself. Because this is the key to change. This is the key to living or to leaving a life of sin. If we want to leave a life of sin, right, Paul says earlier in Romans chapter 2, it is God's kindness that leads to repentance, not his condemnation. It's the kindness that, that it changes us from the inside out. It is the reality that there is therefore now, for those in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. And to help highlight this truth and how beautiful this is, I just want to end this morning from John chapter 8. And so you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm going to look in John chapter 8. I just want to very quickly end with this story, which I believe is one of the most beautiful stories in all of the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 1. I'll read it. And then we'll begin to come in for a landing. John 8, verse 1. Here's what we read. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again at the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down. He started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning. He straightened up and he said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus then straightened up. And he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What do you think it feels like to be stoned to death? Have you ever thought about that? Because I'm guessing she was. Just a few moments earlier, I mean, this woman was carefree and alive. She's smiling, and she's hurrying to his house. Her husband's at work. Kids are in school. It's Paul the afternoon, and she's going to get away to meet with this man who at least, if even just for a moment, can make her feel alive. But then her pastor walks in. And he drags her out of bed and he marches her through the city and he throws her down in the town square and he says, Moses says to stone her. Are you going to disagree with Moses? He's talking to Jesus, this renegade rabbi who had showed up at the temple to teach that day. And now here this woman is laying before him in nothing but a bed sheet, face pressed against the dirt of the ground that she has been thrown on. This carefree thrill of just a few moments has suddenly been turned into this blanket of public shame. How long has he known? And who else knows? What does it feel like to actually be stoned to death? That's a question this woman would have never considered. But now here she is and she's exposed and she's dirty and she's scared and she's laying in the dirt and Jesus begins to talk. And he says, you who have no sin, throw the first stone. And then she hears stones hit the ground. Not because they're throwing them, but because they're dropping them. And in this incredible act of mercy, Jesus, though, he could have stoned her. Think about that. Jesus was without sin. He could have been like, all right, now that they're gone, it's time. Here comes your punishment from the only perfect man who's ever walked this earth. But an incredible act of mercy, Jesus stands her up. And rather than stoning her, he looks at her in the eye. And with her accusers gone in this moment, she sees in Jesus a kind of love that no other man has ever been able to show her. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. In other words, now you know what true love feels like. You don't have to keep looking for it and all this counterfeit stuff that's not going to ever satisfy and fulfill you. And you see, it's in this beautiful moment that Jesus gives us just a glimpse, guys, into what he not only came to do for her, but what he came to do for you and for me. In John three seventeen, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world. I came so the world might be saved through me. The truth is, your sin does have consequences. I want to be clear. I mean, this woman, like her real battle had just begun. Like this, the whole city now knew about this woman's sin. Think about that, what that would have been like for her. I mean, her reputation was shattered. She probably experienced, especially in this culture, some very serious consequences for her sin. So please don't misunderstand me. Listen, and we're done. The message today is not that because of Christ, there is now no consequences for your sin. The message is because of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for your sin. And therefore, what that means is that because Jesus came to this earth, because he took the full brunt of the punishment for your sin, because at the cross, Jesus took the stones that was reserved for you and me, you can know that, yeah, there will be consequences for your sin. But here's the good news. No matter how hard you fall, if you are in Christ, he will continue to pick you up. And he will look at you with the same eyes of love. And he will speak tenderly to you. And you know how you know whenever it's Jesus' voice you're hearing? Because it'll be a voice, listen, that will not sound like criticism, but kindness. It will not sound like condemnation, but compassion. And today, I want us to just meditate on that reality as we get ready to transition into communion. But before we move into communion... Let me just say this very clearly. If you are not in Christ, you are condemned. If you have not trusted in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are living in a condemned house. And that is very bad news. But you know what the good news is? You don't have to fix the house up. You don't have to remodel it. Jesus actually has a whole new house for you to step into today, and the door is wide open. And the way that you enter into that house is just through faith. It's through trusting that everything I said is actually true. Some of you, maybe you hear a message like this, you're like, man, Jerry, this is a dangerous message, man. I mean, you just gave people a license to sin. Paul says, actually earlier in Romans, if that's the way you heard this message, you heard it incorrectly. Grace does not make you want to sin more. When you really fully receive the grace of God, it makes you actually want to obey him. It makes you want to leave a life of sin because you've never met a love like this before. Why would you ever want to turn away from him? We use condemnation. I use condemnation so much. I use it towards myself. I use it in parenting. Guys, I'm telling you, condemnation, it might lead to behavior modification, but it'll never lead to heart transformation. What we need today is to be reminded of the gospel. And to be reminded of the gospel every week, what God has given us is a cup. He's given us a wafer in our instance. And what that's there to remind you of is this, that Jesus came and lived a perfect life you could never live. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of God. Take that and remember that as you swallow it. And then Take the juice, which is to remind you that Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Think about those stones. The blood, the stones that hit Jesus, stones of God's wrath because of the sin. and I mean, that, that caused him to literally bleed drops of blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And so let's take that today. If you're here and you are not a Christian, I would encourage you, rather than taking communion, receive Christ. Receive the invitation into this new home with him. And if you want more information about that, I'm up here at the front. I'd love to talk with you. I know Adam would love to connect. Anybody in our church who's a follower of Jesus would love to help you with the next steps. Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. After I pray for us, uh, you can take communion whenever you're ready. And then we'll stand and, and we'll sing one final song together to help us celebrate what we have just talked about. Father, I do thank you so much for everyone who is in the room, those who are listening online. God, we're all looking for love. We're all looking for acceptance. We're all looking to make up for our insufficiencies. Very few of us in the room, I feel like, if we could be honest, walked in here with a swagger today. We constantly feel the need to try to prove ourselves that we're somebody or something incredible. So, Jesus, we just need you through your Holy Spirit to speak the truth into our lives that, that there is therefore now no condemnation that there's nothing left for us to have to prove. Jesus, you've proven everything. You've accomplished it all. You have finished it all. Help this gospel to take root inside of our hearts and to transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.